0: This morning we're going to consider the forgiveness of a sinful woman. Looking at Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through to verse 50. Whilst the Lord Jesus Christ was a guest in the house of a Pharisee named Simon, a woman whom Luke describes as a sinner in Luke chapter 7 verse 37, came in and she proceeded to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. Then she dried them with her hair and she anointed them with perfume. Simon, who was watching, reasoned in his heart that if Jesus was a prophet, he would have known that the woman who touched him was a sinner. Therefore, how could he possibly be? a prophet. Jesus, who knows our secret thoughts, answered Simon with a parable. Then, turning to the woman, Jesus told Simon what he, that is Simon, had failed to do and he contrasted it with what the woman had done, how she had ministered to him since the time he entered the house. Last of all, Jesus forgave her many sins. First of all, we'll consider the woman's contrition and her humility. Let's have a look again at Luke chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. We can reasonably assume from Simon's objections that the woman whose name is not given in this passage was not a guest. I might be wrong, but I I don't really imagine that she was a guest of Simon's. Even so, she was there and she was ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ, washing his feet with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing his feet with perfume. Since the passage ends with Jesus forgiving her many sins, we're we're told that, we know that this passage ends with her, that woman receiving forgiveness of her many sins. What can therefore be seen in her when she was ministering to Jesus is deep contrition and repentance, so much so that she was shedding tears of sorrow and repentance for her sins. A woman's hair is her crown and her glory, And that probably explains why I've noticed that certain women, they seem to spend quite a lot of money and quite a lot of time at the hairdressers. Yet, here we see a woman putting her hair to good use in an act of deep humility. Also, apparently, it was disgraceful and it was indecent for a woman to loosen her hair in public, as this woman must have done. But she did it all the same and that also points to a genuine repentance. She's typical of sinners who are truly repentant and who are too busy pouring out their hearts to care about what others might think or say about them. I don't imagine that woman, as she did what she did to the Lord Jesus Christ, gave any thought to what Simon or anyone else in that house thought or said about her. As I say, she was too busy pouring out her heart. Come to think of it, what about you, dear Christian? Presumably, when you first trusted in Jesus as your saviour from sin, you were too busy showing repentance towards God to concern yourself with what people thought or said about you. But what about now perhaps after a good number of years of being a Christian, some of you in here you've been Christians for decades, not just a few few years but a long time. Living by faith of the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you I'm asking you because of all the people in the world, it is only Christians, whether they've been Christians for five minutes, five years, fifty years. It's only Christians who have a genuine and lively faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are people who are, who not only continually trust in Jesus as their saviour from sin, but they are people who Show repentance towards God. It's not just a once only thing when you became a Christian. Time and time again is it not the case that you show repentance towards God as you thank God for Jesus Christ, his son, who loved you and who gave himself for you. You don't have that fear of condemnation anymore. You know that your acceptance is in the beloved, in the Son of God. But even so, I'm sure I'm not the only one who doesn't always do the things that I should do. And sometimes I do things that really should not be done. And I thank God to Jesus Christ who loved me but that's repentance. We looked at it earlier in the communion service. You know, many people can have what might be said to be a godly sorrow. But it's only repentance when that godly sorrow is directed towards the one who was lifted up to die on the cross, bearing away your sins. so it must be directed towards Jesus any true repentance a repentance that comes with saving faith in Jesus and if that is you Christian trusting in Jesus showing repentance towards God then that is something that the world will not like at, at, at the very least, the world will see you as a bit of an oddity. But you won't fit in if that really is you. People will talk about you. They may be nice to your face, but even so, you know, you'll know that you're different and they'll know that you're different. And you are different because you're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. New ambitions, a new set of desires, priorities. The things that you once loved, you now hate. The things that you once hated, you now love. Don't try and fit in with the crowd. And if you do follow Jesus, hearing his voice, following him, people are going to talk about you. And that can't be a bad thing. Because the world, Christ-hating world, it strongly opposes God, the things of God and ultimately the people of God who are trusting in Jesus and who are showing repentance because of sin, their sin. So we've seen, first of all, the woman's contrition and her humility. Secondly, we'll consider Simon's thoughts about Jesus. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him saw it he spake within himself saying this man if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him for she is a sinner you may know about Nicodemus I'm going off subject a bit here to another passage or passages from John's gospel Nicodemus who in John chapter 3 came to Jesus with the question Rabbi we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In that passage, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, just like Simon, a Pharisee, came to Jesus by night, there's no reason to imagine that Nicodemus came to Jesus for any other reason than a sincere reason. He came to Jesus with a sincereness, a sincerity about him. He had questions and he sought answers. Later on in John chapter 7, the Jewish council sent officers to arrest Jesus. They'd had enough of him, what he was doing and what he was preaching. So they sent the temple guards to go and arrest Jesus. But they came back empty-handed and they said to the council, never man spake like this man. Interestingly, Nicodemus, who was part of the Jewish council, he broke ranks with the rest of them and he said to them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him? and know what he doeth. Clearly something was going on with Nicodemus that he should dare to break rank with the others and question them like that. And needless to say that it didn't go down too well with his fellow members of the Jewish council. Then last of all concerning Nicodemus, we see towards the end of John's Gospel in John chapter 19 that Nicodemus assisted another council member, Joseph of Arimathea, with the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it would seem, when you follow Nicodemus on his journey through John's Gospel, it would seem that by the grace of God, the the grace of God that brought Nicodemus to Jesus in the first place, that Nicodemus the Pharisee came out into the light, Although he first came to Jesus under the cover of darkness, finally it would seem that he came out into the light slowly but surely and finally showed himself to be someone who loved the crucified (coughs) Saviour. There's no hint of Simon the Pharisee being on a similar journey to his fellow Pharisee Nicodemus. That is abundantly clear in verse 39. For one thing, Simon didn't even consider Jesus to be the promised Christ, the Messiah. That wasn't even going on in his head at the time. Is Jesus the Christ? Is neither Christ? Not at all. Simon rejected Jesus from being a prophet and that was because, as he saw it in his twisted mind, Jesus did not even have the discernment to know that the person whom he was touching, was a sinner. As for what Simon imagined himself to be, clearly Simon did not imagine himself to be a sinner. The thoughts that were going on in his heart betrayed him for what he really was, a self-righteous hypocrite, who, unlike the woman, had no need of repentance, or so he thought. The way that Simon was quick to speak within himself in verse 39, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. That says it all really, doesn't it? That Simon was unrepentant. We needn't imagine that he invited Jesus to his house because he was burdened with his sin. No doubt he just wanted to trap Jesus or to confirm his belief that Jesus was nothing but an imposter. Whereas the woman, as has already been said, brought forth the fruit of true repentance. How different Simon was, not only to the woman, but also to King David who lived a thousand years earlier. David was a man after God's own heart. That really is something, isn't it? To be... Uh, this is from the Bible. The Bible tells us that David was a man of after God's own heart. Even so, Psalm 51 bears record to David having a broken and contrite heart and praying to God. And this is what David said. Against thee thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David, who was a man of God and was a man after God's own heart, crying out to God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. The world is full of people whose wicked and deceitful hearts are filled with disdain and contempt for others and blind to their own sin, as was the case with Simon the Pharisee. And for all that, the word of God clearly teaches that there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What the Bible is not saying is that we have all made mistakes. I I had someone recently telling me, giving some form of apology for mistakes that he'd made. I can tell you they weren't mistakes. And we haven't just made mistakes, it goes way beyond that. You only need to consider the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificially laid down his life to see how sinful sin is, how awful sin is. The suffering and the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ was for all who have truly repented and truly trusted in him. From those who have done little more than tell a few lies during their life to the repentant paedophiles and murderers of this sin-sick world. All said and done we're all hell-deserving sinners. Make no mistake about it. The seed of every known sin lurks in every one of us. Thirdly we'll look at the parable and its application. Look again at Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 40 through to 43. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50 and when they had nothing to pay he frankly forgave them both tell me therefore which of them will love him most simon answered and said i suppose that he to whom he forgave most and he said unto him thou hast rightly judged jesus who knows the secret thoughts of our hearts, not just Simon's heart, but all our hearts. Jesus answered Simon by telling him about a man who loaned people, uh, loaned money to two people. To one he lent 500 pence and to the other 50 pence. Neither of them were able to repay and their debts were cancelled. Simon was asked by Jesus which of the two would love him most. And he answered saying, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And that was the correct answer. The answer that Simon gave was obvious. I trust it's obvious to you. And there's no way that Simon could avoid answering it. But by saying, I suppose, it seems that he answered Jesus with an arrogant indifference. Or maybe he was reluctant to give the obvious answer because he sensed that Jesus was about to make an application, an unfavourable application of that parable concerning him. And Jesus duly did just that. God can be seen to have been the creditor in the parable, Simon the debtor who owed 50 pence, and the woman was the debtor who owed 500 pence. We needn't think that the woman's sins were in fact ten times more or ten times worse than Simon's. However, her awareness of her sins was far greater than his and her sins weighed much heavier on her conscience than his sins did on his conscience. Fourthly, we'll consider Jesus forgiving the woman her sins. Verse 44 Two to fifty. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she have washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in have not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment or with perfume. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, By faith have saved thee, go in peace. In the parable, the one who was forgiven most, loved most. But it wasn't love that secured the cancellation of the debt. Rather, the debtor was not able to repay the debt. And the creditor graciously forgave that person. It was a simple case, I can't pay you back. And so the creditor said, Okay, I forgive you. The debtor's love, the forgiven debtor's love for the creditor came afterwards, and it was a consequence of having been forgiven so great a debt. Likewise, we see in verse forty seven. That the woman loved much for or because she had been forgiven much. Then in verse 48, Jesus put into words that which had already been realized and become obvious to both Simon and woman, uh, Simon and the woman. Jesus said to her, thy sins are forgiven. Last of all, by saying, thy faith have saved thee. Go in peace. In verse 50, Jesus made it very clear that the woman's love for him was not the cause of her being saved from her sins, but the consequence of her being saved. She came to Jesus, pouring out her heart as a repentant sinner. Jesus forgave her, and she loved him. Therefore, not only do we see true repentance from the woman, but also... A God-given faith. We see that God-given faith in verse 50 by which she embraced mercy and forgiveness for all her sins. Whatever they may have been and as numerous as they may have been that she was forgiven. By way of application one can only assume that Simon the Pharisee and perhaps others who were in his house at the time were enraged within their unrepentant and self-righteous hearts when they heard Jesus declare the woman forgiven of her sins. That as may be, the fact is that Simon is now in torment, in hell. Unless the day ever came that he also wept tears of repentance and he also trusted in Jesus, who is so much more than a prophet. He is the Christ, the son of the living God as we come to a close consider this it's fair to say that any sane and right thinking person desires to have peace I could ask you to put your hands up I won't bother but if I asked you to put your hands up if you want to have peace I trust that all of you if you're if you're sane and you're right thinking you'd stick your hand up stick both hands up who doesn't want peace However, when I and others from this church knock on people's front doors, seeking to engage them on seeking to engage them in conversation on the subject of peace, as we offer them a gospel leaflet entitled "Peace with God," that's what that's the first thing they see on the leaflet. "Peace with God." Most of them show no interest whatsoever. That shows something of the rebellion of sinful man against God. They don't really see the peace bit. All they see is the with God bit and they don't want to know. It shows something of the rebellion and the hardness of their hearts and that's not just the case with the the people that we meet on the door-to-door evangelism that we do. More broadly, sin affects every part of our being. All of us. So much so that everyone who has never shown repentance towards God and has never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus who is the Prince of Peace, they're not right thinking and they are in fact sinfully insane. After all, who in his right mind would want to be an enemy of God rather than know him? And address him as father. You'd have to be mad. Not to want to know God. Your maker as your father. Not even silly or stupid. But mad. Sinfully insane. Not of a sound mind. That woman, whatever her name was. She went home in peace. We see that in in verse fifty. He said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. She went home in peace, having been saved from her sins by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the peace that Jesus gave was not a temporary condition that might easily evaporate as soon as some kind of trial or tribulation came her way. Because that's the kind of peace Most people have in this world. They can be at peace one minute and then the next minute some bad news comes along and that's it. The peace is gone, evaporated, vanished. That's not the peace that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, gives to people who repent and who trust in Him for the forgiveness of their sins. Likewise, all of you who are resting in Christ. I trust you have a testimony that the peace that Jesus has given you is one that endures and is an everlasting peace. As the hymn writer said, and we sung it earlier on, our first hymn, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. There are actually, broadly, well, there are two types of people in this world. One type is like Simon the self-righteous and unrepentant Pharisee, and the other type is like the woman who repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins and for her acceptance before God. She went away having received everlasting peace which is good, isn't it? That's very good. The wrath of God abides on the, abides on the unrepentant, on the Simons of this world, <clears throat> whereas all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ are graciously given by God to the others, like the repentant woman in our passage. Peace, but so much more beside All spiritual blessings. Forgiveness of sins, being delivered from destruction, a hope that reaches heaven, the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, being with Jesus forevermore. How wonderful is that? Therefore, don't be proud. Don't be arrogant, as Simon was. Don't be delusional, imagining yourself to be without sin and having no need to show repentance towards God. I'm sure that all of you, you don't have to think that far back to, to remember or to, or to see the last time you did something that clearly God would not find pleasing. We all do it. You're not alone. Turn from your evil ways and cry out to God for mercy, trusting in the sinless life, the sacrificial death, the, un- the, the, the triumphal resurrection from the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ for your acceptance before God. God will hear your cry and he will save you by his grace. Amen.